If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom. So, this week on the podcast, we have the phenomenal Cloda Mooney Duggan. Cloda is an actor, a writer, she's a really particularly incredible person. I'm recording this right after we did the episode, and um, you'll hear it on it. I, I, I really don't need to buffer it with um, any kind of talk because it's completely gorgeous, but she is just very special. I don't know, there's something very special about that girl, and um, I feel very happy to know her. Cloda has done a ton of great work. I was lucky to work with her uh, last year uh, on a production of King Lear, uh, kind of around this time last year, uh, actually, which was amazing. She played uh, The Fool and Cordelia and did such a beautiful, beautiful job on that show. Um, we talked a little bit about, about that off mic, but um, as well as that, she's uh, probably best known for Stella Full of Storms, which was a one-woman play in which um, she, it was just a complete rock star um, performance. We also spoke about that on the Kate Gilmore episode, which is something that they collaborated on. Um, Cloda is also, as we talk about on the podcast, is in this incredible play. I know I'm using the word incredible, but it's no connection. It's no coincidence that it's connected with Cloda and her work, um, because that's what it is. Uh, it's a play called Trist. Uh, you might remember from a few episodes back, we had Jedda Debris and Finbar Doyle on um, in consecutive episodes, actually, but they were the two writers um, and also the director and actor, uh, respectively, of that show, and they're amazing people, and it's it's honestly, it's a kind of phenomenal piece of work. Uh, it's one of the most provocative, uncomfortable, captivating, fascinating, sexy inappropriate mind-boggling hours of theatre you're ever going to see and I'd highly recommend you go and check it out Cloda kind of uh, revealed there that uh, hopefully that show is going to be back in the near future and if you do see Trist uh, I really suggest that you go and see it because it's it's amazing uh, as well as that Cloda's done uh, work on the Snow Queen in Smock Alley where she played Gerda um, she was worked with Hamlet um, on Hamlet uh, in Second Ages uh, Hamlet at the the Helix, um, Cirque du Rev, loads and loads of stuff. I'm just looking through her CV here and it's kind of endless. So um, she's really um, associated with great work in my eyes and I'd really recommend you go and check her out on stage. Um, in other news, uh, this well, I'm kind of stockpiling um, the podcast so I don't really know where I'm going to be when this one comes out. Um, so no real other news. Um, ticking away here with the podcast, I'm going to be loads coming up. We're getting very close to episode 100. Very, very, very close. I think I've recorded something like 96 or 97 so um hopefully gonna get something exciting for episode 100 and uh, not sure exactly what that's gonna be but um i have a few ideas in my head now whether i can get them to come off i'm not sure but uh kind of mad that we're at episode 100 uh, look if you've stuck with us this far first of all thank you so much what a rock star you are and i'm so glad that you get something out of these podcasts if this is your first time if Claude's name was the thing that brought you here first of all you have impeccable taste second of all um go back and listen to some of the other ones if you're into Irish theatre we have so many podcasts about Irish theatre if you're into Irish film we have loads about that if you're into writing we have loads of writers if you're into drag we've got drag queens if you're into like whatever you're into I, I'd be pretty confident that we can cater to it between the comedians the YouTubers the bloggers uh, the songwriters we, we've been done a fairly wide range um, of, of, of guests and uh, of genres so if you do enjoy it um, 
go back and check out some more subscribe that really does help us and if you haven't already done so if you could give us a rating whether that be five stars whatever it might be five stars would be amazing obviously he subtly suggested in there and also if you could leave a comment anything like that is so helpful but above all go and tell somebody you listen to it honestly that's the best way to spread the word about the podcast if you just say hey look I listen to this podcast it's an hour long you might like it you might hate it but give it a go that honestly is the only way that we spread the word about this podcast we do not have a marketing budget we have absolutely zero cent that is not an exaggeration I say zero cent uh, behind this podcast so anything at all that you can do um, really does make the world of difference so guys enough of my rambling without further ado please enjoy the wonderful Clodagh Mooney Duggan playing personality bingo Clodagh Mooney Duggan, ready to play personality bingo? I sure am. All right, sweet. So a quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock there. I've got 60 balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper there. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? Uh, yeah, okay. So I have uh, 14, yeah. 6, right. 59, okay. 43, Lovely. and 5. Brilliant. Um, would you do me another favour and pick a sixth number, something between 1 and 60 that's not already there? Yeah, so I was already thinking about this. So I think it should be 37. I don't know why, but that's the one I picked. I love it. 37. I love it. And I should say, if all those numbers do come out, including lucky number 37, that means that the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world and I'll give you a completely honest and truthful answer. Okay. Even if it is about my penis, Clodagh. <laughs> Which no one else is going to get that reference. I actually, if we ever got to that point, I think I would really panic. Like, I don't I don't have a question prepared to ask you, so I'll think about it. I'll mull it over. Yeah, it is, it's hard. It's it's hard. But um, come here. Let's... The, the, the question, not my penis. Let's give it a go. <laughs> Can't believe it started that way. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible. Do you want to go back and start it again? <laughs> it's too late. Here we go. <laughs> Number 54, do you have it? No. No worries. Number 54. The question is... What, who, sorry, who is your favourite um, actor? Ooh, what a great question. Okay, um, that's a hard one because I have, oh, I have so many of them. I, I, I have people that I'd love to to work with and, and people's work that I really admire. Mm. Um, who's my favourite actor? I, so I, uh, I worked with her a lot during college um, but Katie McCann would be uh, someone that I adore being on stage with and making work with mm. um, we kind of uh, met in the gaiety and have worked together a lot so there's a lot of uh, trust there mm-hmm. uh, and she's someone that I feel very safe with on stage and the way that she works I think is incredibly uh, powerful um, also I saw Nessa Matthews show last night in the fringe and Nessa has uh, just a a wonderful thing that I love to watch on stage it's uh, she's almost see through Uh, she's the most honest person I've ever seen on stage uh, it's incredible Um, everything that everything goes through her face everything that she thinks and feels and and she makes these incredible pieces of work uh, her uh, and you can just see her mind jumping from place to place. It's she, she's really uh, honest, and I think that's something that's um, 
just really powerful to watch on stage. Uh, really, really lovely. And then and then people like Brian Burrows and and stuff that that can do things with your body that with their body that you could never ever do or or, uh, people that are just uh, a joy to watch and are so skilled Um, so people that are able to do like Veronica Coburn who can uh, just these incredible clowning experiences that you get to watch that you could never uh, that you watch and you're like that's the thing Mm. that's uh, poignant and powerful and so entertaining and uh it's just deadly. They're just like like Raymond Keane as well. It's, it's just deadly. And, and you get to watch it like, oh, that's the thing. That's the thing that I would love to be able to do, be able to achieve. And to kind of, Louis Lovett does as well when they turn and, and give that wing to the audience and all of the audience melt at the same time where they just have this ability to uh, entertain and affect change at the exact same time. Uh, and uh, they do it with such a, a level of, uh, I guess, trust in the audience and a level of play. And uh, when they have that little twinkle in their eye, it, it, uh, something magic happens, I think, in those in those scenarios with those people. When you spoke about Katie McCann, you said they, like she's someone you've worked with and you've obviously loved working with her and collaborating with her and yeah. making with her. What is it about actors that you like working with? Can you see a common thread amongst them? Yeah, I think the actors... Uh, that I and I've kind of been blessed with working with a, a, a kind of a slew of incredibly talented uh, but incredibly kind actors um, who are ready to throw the ball to you in, in a rehearsal room. I think that's uh, really important when that level of trust combines with play and uh, exploration of text and stuff. When uh, when a dialogue and a trust happens between two actors so uh katie popped into my head because uh we've just recently done trist together and uh and with finbar as well who's another actor that just is incredibly uh brilliant to be in a room with uh but but she is someone that you could go out on stage with and uh i mean uh do something wrong or panic or something would happen and uh, she would, she, she would trust you, and you would trust her so much that you would you would find the truth of it, and you'd go back to it. Mm. Uh, and I think it knocks away a certain fear. And uh, she's also an incredibly giving actor. And I think what helps in in rehearsal rooms is when you're with someone or a lot of uh, cast that are that trust you. And, and you trust them. So then uh, the am I doing it right? Am I good in this kind mm. of dissolves? And you were like, OK, well, what's the thing that we're trying to say? And can we say it? And how do we get there? And how do we do that together? And uh, you try things out in each other, things that are wrong, uh, things that, you know, just don't suit. But maybe in doing that, you, you get a you get a glimmer of what might be right. right. Or, uh, but I think you, that only happens when you trust the room and uh, you feel safe with these people um, Matt Malone is another great example I just did Susie with him and mm. he uh, he's so good everything that you do with him is safe uh, he's just um, really giving so yeah I've been I've 
just been blessed with being in a room with people I I trust. But I think that's it. I think uh, feeling safe in a room mm. then lets you explore. Whereas if you're self-conscious, then everything kind of, you're just a little more reserved and everything's a little more of a struggle. It's it's slightly harder. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Right, love it. Let's give it a spin. Right. Here we go. Number 28. Do you have it? Put my coffee cup over the thing. No, I don't. No worries. Number 28. The question is, do you believe in love at first sight? Do you know, I was just listening to a picture of us like yesterday and Lawrence talks about how he's walking down the street and he spots a person and falls in love with them. And that that's as real as someone that you've been with for three years and falling in love with them. Do I believe in love and first sight? Um, no. But I believe in something uh, at first sight. <clears throat> I think love uh, comes from shared experiences and uh, kind of building up to things together, getting through things together, trust and, and learning about someone. And when somebody has, for lack of a better term, uh, put secrets in you and trust in you and, and you know them uh, and you share things with them and they're part of your team. That's what I would say trust is. But then uh there's a moment and there's definitely a moment where either at first sight or when you clock someone and something in their eyes has changed and, and there's that recognition of what's that? That's there's an energy here, there's an attraction there, there's a there's something there's something more. Uh and I, I think that can happen at first sight, that intrigue, that energy exchange, that that thing that pulls you together that then escalates into love or whatever so I don't believe in the whole hog at first sight but I do think that you can see that spark of magic in someone almost immediately uh, and that's the exciting lust or uh, or being in love and then when that spark let's say falls away and you're left with trust and familiarity and uh, two people who see each other and although that that magic like what is this is gone but it's two people that have uh, come together I guess that's what I would call love so I think you can definitely get a spark of a thing uh, but no I think being in, in love with someone or loving someone is a, is a is a slightly bigger thing than that that initial like oh my god you're amazing but then i've had that like energy thing of like everything in my life has slightly shifted because i have now seen you so uh i think they're two different things but i i definitely think the the one is a the the whatever at first sight is a thing the times when you have been in love properly in love the yeah. the, the whole hog as you put it yeah have you also ha did it start with the with the spark with that moment with that change in the person's eyes or are they not necessarily mutually exclusive? Um. So, uh, yes, they have. I think, um, they they don't always happen from that like, uh, what is this thing, um. But I think the times that I've been in love, really in love, uh. They have started from me finding this deep energy in someone 
and and wanting to be closer to them and finding myself kind of gravitating towards them in a room or whatever and then from then being with them and uh trusting them and uh putting like taking armor off as you go and mm. uh just letting yourself be whatever whatever you are in that moment uh, however i don't know mad you are in that moment or however uh happy or whatever allowing yourselves to be that i think that happens after the energy thing but yeah the times i've been in love they did start with that uh that magical glance of two people seeing each other for the first time i was thinking recently about this and it occurred to me and I was thinking about someone specifically in my life, so but I, I think it, it it's quite I, I imagine it's possibly universal or not. But that what it actually is is that like when you're in love with someone, okay, like there's the physical thing, there's the emotional thing, there's like I think there's on some level, whatever this means, I don't know, it just feels true, like a soul thing. Yeah, it is a soul thing. I agree with you. But there's a lot of like do my flaws fit with your flaws? Yeah, yeah, and I was talking about this with someone recently. Uh, when you're in love with someone, it's uh, I want you to be in love with me because of everything, in spite of nothing. So your flaws, they have to fit. Two people's flaws don't necessarily, you know. Yeah. And I think that can break down a lot of things. Yeah. So your flaws absolutely need to not balance each other out because flaws don't, but uh, they need to suit each other in a way. You know, for example, if, if someone has a thing, a flaw that the other person can't deal with, then it does sometimes break down. Yeah, like it, 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 this is completely overly simplified. But if you were a needy person and then you meet an over loving person and then all the other things are there, like, you know, like you think you're great <laughs> and you love hanging out and you think you're attracted to each other and you make each other laugh, all that. But then like they're over loving on you can actually in a way, and I'm not saying that's right because as in if you have like some fundamental flaws or holes in yourself, like you surely have to try and fill them yourself because oh, yeah. that's your responsibility as a person to yourself and probably to the other person in truth. But yeah. like, yeah, it's interesting. And everyone's flawed. So it kind of just depends on if, you know, if those match the other person, like you say, if someone's, I don't know, needs more from the other person and someone is more giving, that can fit slightly better than others. And if you're a star sign kind of person, you might be able to tell that way, but I don't, I don't really, I'm not really one of those people. Have you, have you come up against that where you have been in love with someone and like, in theory, it's all been there, but like there was whatever ingredient out of it like was missing, whether it was like our flaws don't fit or our like, or our, I'm not attracted to you in the way I should be, or we don't really make me laugh. Or there was like one or two of the things missing. Like, are you good at identifying that and being kind of ruthless with your own truth about it? Or do you find it hard to step away from something that, like, can you, how are you, um, what am I trying to ask you? Like, are you kind of like, I guess, like ruthless with your own gut? Um, Am I ruthless with my own gut? I don't think so. Um, I think I can identify it uh, as it happens or or after the fact. But I think I am less likely to uh, make it a red flag. I, I, I think it's harder for me to see the wood from the trees 
until later mm. because I think I um I think this comes from being an actor as well and uh, and I love uh people and I I think people's flaws are uh incredibly uh intriguing and uh charming for it's a stupid way of putting it but uh I think the way people work and the way people see things and do things and why they do things is uh really really interesting and really beautiful and it helps actually uh the more you know of people the more you know of characters that you then start to go into because you can see other people's points of view um and i think that's important and i think you kind of have to love people's flaws to be an actor in some way because then you bring those in but then on the other side of things uh no i think i'm less uh, ruthless I guess as you said um, I think un- until they really don't work I uh, really try and understand why people do what they do and, and see uh, uh, see those those routes they took I guess yeah so no it would it, it takes it would take me an awful long time to not to hold my hands up and be like okay you know, this isn't this isn't a thing. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was kind of in the midst of thinking about this lately because I was like, I have this thing. I like, I think there's two sides to it, but and I, I think like, uh, I, this is a silly thing to say, but like traditionally, this is my own insecurities probably popping up. But like traditionally, I would associate this as like traditionally like feminine behavior, like in in the very like you know um, traditional gender roles we've been brought to like brought up to. Uh, believe in like culturally I suppose but like a kind of like um, like if I go on a, a date with someone for example mm-hmm. like I feel like no matter what even if I hated it which this has happened like, <laughs> I really don't want to go again I feel like I owe them a date and like it's kind of the same if I'm in a relationship and I'm like I, I actually I, I think I would be happier not being with this person mm. I feel like I don't I haven't earned a breakup until I hate them you know what I mean yeah like I, it, it, and that, that's that's partially true and it's partially not because sometimes I can be very uh, very decisive and very much just kind of like oh, do you know what this isn't working for me yeah. and, and be very articulate about it I have been really really blessed I have never uh, hated an ex and I have never left a relationship hating someone mm-hmm. thank god uh because i think that would be really uh hard yeah. loving someone for however many, however long and having them such a part of your life and then uh and then that turning into a, a deep hate i mean it's such a it's a scary thing really but then you see like like trist you see three people in a room who for all intents and purposes, love each other, but are there because uh, they have spent so long together, um, because they feel they owe it to each other to stay, like you're saying, um, and because they're used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've kind of accepted each other's flaws and now ignore them. You know, like uh, at the very beginning of the play, Katie's character turns to Finbar's character and essentially says, you know, do you ever worry we're alcoholics? With the deep worry that he is, in fact, an alcoholic. And kind of just laughs it off until everyone presses the fuck it button and uh, everyone uh, gathers these 
bullets that they've been holding for years of like this is the thing that would hurt you the most mm. and then they press it and I think people can do that in relationships as well you know you or friendships that go on for a very long time which is actually something we don't really see on stage is friendships breaking down which can be just as hurtful but when mm. you know someone for that long uh, you know the things that are going to destroy them if you say this thing it'll destroy them or you gather these silver bu- bullets mm. knowing that you should never release them because yeah. that will break them. And then when relationships break down, very often we pull the trigger, which is what I think when you do start to hate. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, because I, I actually agree with that. Like, I know I was the one that used the word. I don't think I've ever hated an ex breaking up or anything like that. But I've definitely, you, you definitely like hate the way that you are around them or you hate the way that you feel around oh, them. totally. Or you hate totally. the way that you make them feel as well you know or whatever the thing might be but it's very funny then when you know you get as you said like when you have that time and when when, when those things fade away then what's left is can be this it can be kind of gorgeous is like just sort of like you kind of just remember are left with the good things yeah. once you're able to I guess kind of yeah so- you have to be in a position where you're able to see the good things you yeah know? <laughs> you, you can't you know you can't see that you know you can't reflect on the great things immediately after because it's not it's not helpful the, uh, Trist is Trist was like in, a, in an incredible play Trist is uh, it just shows people breaking down in the most extreme way uh, in one room in 70 minutes so you just see they're kind of three unlikable characters anyway they all have for example Rachel who I play has never really left college you know she's still there and she's clinging desperately onto these people essentially asking them to save her or bring them with her and is so hurt when uh, they start to move on without her uh, but you see in that play three people make the decision to break the per- the other person down watch them break down and then reason with themselves that they were right to do so mm-hmm. uh, and I think people people are funny you know y- y- when you're backed into a corner no matter how much you love someone, your need to survive will come out and, and people will go for the jugular. Do you know, they just yeah. kind of will. But it's amazing. I don't know. I, I, I assume this isn't unique to me, but when I see people behaving like despicably on stage, it's like, not despicable, well, like some of it's pretty bad, but like it's like my favourite thing because I think it just make it kind of... It's my favourite thing too. Like, because it, well, it, it, it makes you feel seen in your worst moments. Yeah. Which is kind of the reason I go to theatre I think mm. is is like or not even the worst moments but in the best moments the most vulnerable moments it's really to be seen I like seeing myself reflected and I don't mean by that like I don't mean I like to see someone who's six foot tall and white and straight I mean like I like to see humans going through things because it's all pretty you know relatively speaking it's going to be kind of universal like you're going to be able to draw a parallel to even things that like I couldn't relate to you know what I mean yeah. like that's what's so gorgeous about it like and that play for example it's a it's an exercise in empathy because as you said yeah there are like like they are I guess fundamentally like there are unlikable aspects about all those people but like there's one line in that play I'll never forget I don't know can I say the line because I don't want to ruin it on like Jedda and Finbar oh yeah I suppose we I, shouldn't we shouldn't I don't need to say that because I, I think it, it might I think it might reappear so let's not yeah let's but, not but, ruin it for you people but there's you. there's one line in that play I'll tell you after it I don't I'm, I'm pretty sure I know which one you're you talking probably do, do. I say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. It's a, like that is the most slam dunk of a line. It's my draft moment, yeah. I've ever heard in my life. I will never forget that moment. Like when that when that when that was said in the theater, 
like I, I made a noise. People ooh and they always do or they make some kind of uh, I think like, I just went like ugh. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was the in it's my It's so gut. guttural yeah. but people make noise. Um and it happens kind of it happened in just in Electric Picnic when we did it there which was funny because people were a little more unhinged because everyone was drinking for three days and then they saw three people break down um, yeah I, I, I think you're right it is an exercise in empathy and I love seeing it too because you see the scariest part of yourself the part that you don't really like to address presented to you on stage uh, and you have to you have to deal with it and you have to particularly in Trist where you kind of have to because naturally as people we pick a side mm. so you side with someone and then they do something that is just the worst thing they could say or do and then you have to either evaluate to go with them still or swap sides so you know amazing. yeah alright let's give it a spin alright we'll go again yeah I'm not doing very well here now I've gotten none but you know what we're having great chats <laughs> here we go number 59 do you have it I do yeah there you go Okay, so that's one. That was nice. You needed that. You had a little moment of self-doubt there, but we've we've course corrected. Oh, this is a weird question. I don't know if this is a good question. It's the first time this has ever been asked. Have you ever had a near-death experience? Yes. Have you? I got meningitis when I was in... uh, I think it's a good question. Yeah, I just would never want to... Remember what I was saying to you earlier about, like, I asked that person a bad question. Yeah, and people get... And I just... You'd never want to bring someone back to, like, a a, um, a, a bad place if they weren't This would actually more so bring my mother back to a bad place than it would bring me necessarily. Although it does kind of come with a funny story. Uh, So I got meningitis when I was 18. Uh, I, I just turned 18, or I was just about to turn 18. I was in UCC at the time. And, uh, we were doing this... Mad play mm. called the Dream Play uh, in UCC in the Granary, and I think it was the opening night. Although I could be wrong, and it could have been preview. But let's say of a Friday morning, I woke up and uh, couldn't really move my neck. Couldn't look at the light. <laughs> Had gotten so irritable that like I was given out to kind of everyone. And uh, my friend came over and brought me a can of Coke. I think, and I went to the theatre and lay down but I had gotten kind of a rash all over my body and I was like oh lads this isn't this doesn't look good and then anyway I I couldn't I couldn't do the show I think I did the first scene and went completely white and I was like I need to I need to leave so somebody else I think took the script or whatever and I went home and then I think went to bed and then the next morning I rang the care doc or my mom rang the care doc because I was on the phone to her and uh an ambulance came and collected me from my apartment, drove me to the hospital, which was two minutes down the road. And uh, yeah, it had meningitis for like 20 hours or something. Uh, one side of my head had swollen. My lips had got like I was so pale. Uh, they didn't think I was going to make it. They really? rang my parents. Yeah, they rang my parents and they were like, uh, she's in hospital. Uh, do you have anyone to drive you to the hospital? And mom was like, well, dad will drive. And they were like, no, no, to bring you because they don't think they didn't think I was going to make it by the time mum and dad arrived to the hospital. God, my poor parents. I think about it, but uh, um, uh, like imagine imagine getting, getting, that, getting phone that phone call. call. Imagine that car ride down. I think about it all the time. How long a ride would that have been for them? Two and a half hours oh, from, yeah, from my door Wexford to or? from yeah from New Ross to Cork. Maybe that's wrong now. Maybe it's two, but from door to door, let's say it was two hours. I'm sure it felt like five. Yeah. So they get there. The nurse tells them where my bed was or whatever and they went there and I wasn't there. (laughs) 
Where's the mortuary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouldn't laugh. But they'd taken me to get a lumbar puncture or whatever. And then I ended up being in the hospital for like three weeks and no side effects. Like uh, they thought I was going to end up deaf or blind or... Clodagh. Uh, I know, yeah. I've actually, I kind of, yeah. I, I can't believe I don't, I mean, how would I know that about yeah. you? But I just feel like that's something you should have mm. yeah. tattooed on your forehead. I like. know, yeah. Has survived meningitis. Yeah. You're lucky to have uh, me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was in hospital for so long. And anyway, uh, and at once, at one stage, my left, uh, my left side was weaker than my right. So I could only raise like this, this hand, which is like there. And then after three weeks, just nothing was wrong. Nothing at all. Like they, really, they didn't think I was going to wake up and then they did. They thought I was going to not be able to speak or not be able to hear, not be able to see. And uh, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, so that's, that's my near-death experience. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I have actually nearly died. Did you, when you were in, did you know you were nearly dying? Uh, it's so, it's funny. It's a funny one. On reflection, maybe. But at the time, I was just really tired and really sore. And every time I moved, I got sick. This is what, because I was alone in my apartment for those 10 hours or whatever. Uh, and I don't think I fully kind of comprehended what was going on. I was just really tired. And uh, every time I moved, I got sick and I couldn't look at the light and everything was stiff. And then I was on the phone to Mam, and Mam realized that something was wrong. I. Because it's mad when you think about it because the care doc rang me and they said, can you come, can you walk to the gate? And I was like, no, I can't walk that far. So on reflection, yeah, obviously something was horribly wrong, but my brain had swollen. So nothing was, because actually this is the funny story that comes with it. Uh, when man went to get me, so they, they initially put me into the pediatric ward. And then when I went to get the lumbar puncture and stuff, they then put me into the room or whatever. But there was a lion on the wall of the beads ward. And then when I was in the other room, it was just a normal room. Uh, but I kept asking everyone where my friend the lion went because he was talking to me. <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, I wasn't in a good state of mind at all. I was convinced the lion on the wall was talking to me. I was convinced he was alive, that there was just a lion in the feeds ward, like a real lion. There wasn't. Has, <laughs> there wasn't. Clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has it, do you think, when you think about like death now or the fact that like we're going to die or whatever it is d d like has it changed the way you feel about it uh no because like you came close to it and it was probably going to be fine yeah i don't if i if i think about it for long periods of time i more think about my parents mm. it, it, i think maybe because i was young or because it was so close to me and i got through it i it almost doesn't feel real. Mm. Uh, it doesn't feel like it happened to me. Sometimes I feel like I'm telling this story, uh, which I think is why you don't know and most people don't know. Because uh, I never talk about it because it, it feels outside of me. So it, it really didn't change an awful lot about my perspectives on things. Um, I think it made me move a little faster, if that makes sense. Um, and it made me kind of more gung-ho for for things uh, so that year I was in the gaiety and I was going to stay to the gaiety and do my degree or sorry I was in UCC so I was going to stay in UCC do my degree and then move to Dublin mm. but then by the end of that year I decided 
to kind of uproot it all and just go straight to the gate and not finish the degree and just do things faster. So I went to Dublin by myself and just decided to go for it a little bit harder. So it may have it may have made me move faster. It may have made me become a little more stubborn because nothing's guaranteed. But it didn't make me uh, scared or worried. Um, bar when I was at home and I could see the, the kind of s- the fright that my parents got. But it didn't, it, it hasn't made me more weary. If anything, it made me a little bit more determined to kind of get, get places faster. If that makes sense. Have you ever asked your parents about that day and like the specifics of it for, from their perspective? They, uh, they've spoken to me about it once or twice, but because I, I must go back and talk to them about it now that it's not as fresh. Yeah. Because when, when they would initially talk about it because it was so close to the fact, it would actually upset them quite a, a bit. So I think now that, you know, I'm 26 now, so what was that, eight years ago? So now that it's it's been long enough, the fear won't be as as, as imminent. There. Imminent? That was hard for me to say. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'll go back and talk to them about it now. But I think it was... It was something that almost we didn't speak about because it was so scary. It was just such a scary thing that we kind of didn't talk about it. It was just the massive elephant in the room where they were like, what's that over there? So we just didn't really talk about it. So I think now it might be something to go back and talk about, but not at the time, no. Yeah, amazing. This is a great episode. (laughs) And it started with your penis. Yeah, I know. Well, you know. No one saw it coming. We're all great things start, (laughs) Clodagh. I can't believe you said that. Here we go, number 19. 19, no, I don't have it. Have you or do you ever consider emigrating? Um, so when I was, both when I just left UCC and when I just left the Gaiety, an awful lot of my friends left, uh, kind of just to emigrate. And then more recently, a lot of them have been traveling back and forth with acting jobs. So... I, Yes and no. I would love to work in London and I would love to work in New York and take all the places by storm. Mm. But I, whether it's fear or apprehension to do that alone without first going there with a job or uh, with an agent or with some kind of safety net, I would worry about it. So yeah, I'd love to work in other in other places as well as here. I mean, I love Ireland and I'm I'm such a homebird. Uh and I can get quite homesick. You know, um I think I would anyway. But yeah, I think it would be exciting to work somewhere else. But I would be afraid to go without some kind of safety net. At, uh, at the start of this episode we were talking about um a friend like Indian Meg and the fact yeah. that they you know they, they're forward and back but like are predominantly based in London now when you see them going and doing that and you not doing that what does that make you feel um oh god I don't know if it really I I, I'm, I admire them a lot uh I, I think it, it makes me feel just really proud of them is the wrong word but uh I admire them uh, mm. that they can but I think 
I would be slower to go there without because Roisin did it as well Roisin went up as a national and she's living there now um, but I think if I didn't go with a job I won't go mm. do you know what I mean I, I think I'd need to go with something first mm. and then dive in because uh, it can be hard anyway so I think in a bigger city uh, kind of being anonymous with no real uh, thing to show for yourself like with no show to showcase you or or no agent to be on your team I think going there with no team uh, would be scary um, so yeah I'd love to go but you've talked about teams a couple of times and it's a lovely I've never thought about my life like that it's a lovely way to think about your life and your community yeah. how big is like my team yeah like how how important is that because it was also interesting to me when you were talking about when I was asking you about you know following your own gut and like how ruthless you are with that and you're like not always a, a follow up question I was considering asking was about how important is the role of like your friends in like you know working stuff out with them so important is that like, right I, I, I can't explain how important friendship is to me. In particular, the uh, the friends that I have, the really close friends that I have now, I they're they're so many things. Do you know they are, and a lot of them have stemmed from collaborators or uh, working partners and have become just pals, like uh, just beautifully honest pals. Um, but I would go to them for pretty much everything. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think both for when I'm writing something or when I have anything personal going on, I need a sounding board, I think. I, I would go to someone that I would really trust and be like, this is happening. Mm. Uh, what do I do? Uh, and which I think is kind of common of most people. But yeah, I, I would talk to definitely... Well, yeah, I would, I would, I would talk to them about nearly everything. And like, yeah, literally, because uh, I'm curious about this, because I think this is something. Uh, again, you know, if we're talking about, uh, again, I'm, I'm going back into stereotypes, but like male versus female, right? Like, as a man, if I'm going to do that, which I don't always find easy to do, mm -hmm. I'm almost definitely going to go to a female friend to do it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because I just find that so much yeah. easier. Yeah. Um. Some people also, it's not just gender as well. It can be, but uh, some people are uh, not great at asking for help. And I think, um, especially if you're going through something that can make you look not great, for whatever reason, it, it can make you look maybe not strong enough or uh, mean or selfish or uh, it's kind of harder to ask for help for those things and also in your own work because you can you can be quite uh precious I can feel very um exposed when I show work to people that isn't ready and ask for for help mm. but uh I think my mom's a therapist as well so this might this might be helpful my mom's a therapist as well oh well then <laughs> it's amazing how many actors parents are therapists really that's what I've learned doing this podcast I never knew that before but yeah oh wow like Danny Galligan's mom's I didn't a therapist know that. I'm blanking on all of the other ones. There are so many of them. Yeah. Really? Yeah, so many. Mad. Yeah. But I think that uh, that has made me less afraid to ask for help. Or certainly the the people that I uh, closely surround myself with are um, people that I would ask about 
kind of anything. And uh, I find myself doing it all the time. It, the From the smallest and biggest things, I would uh, have the gang yeah. <laughs> of, or the team of, um, of, of people to, again, because I think to see the woods from the trees in work or in life, because I have, let's say, uh, I'm I can be very sensitive, and uh, a lot of the time I walk around um, without armor, an awful lot of the time. Uh, but sometimes that that can then end up in me being hurt a little bit too easily, or uh, me being a little bit too um, uh, self-aware of stuff that I'm writing, and uh, you need to go to friends to kind of put both things in perspective I think uh, to tell you if you're being mad or tell you if you're not Having a mother who's a therapist what has that resulted in your relationship with therapy being? Um, oh I don't know uh, Do you go? I have gone I'm not currently I have gone um, so I I think it's a great thing actually I think the same way that you need to kind of sound things off friends. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's it can only be a good thing to go. Because you just, it's just you talking out loud of things that you feel. And so if, if you're not one to do that as, as quickly, sometimes you just need a little help or a little uh, uh, talky hug, you know. Sometimes you just need to hear yourself and know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Do you find that your mum being a therapist affects the way that you talk to your mom about problems? No, not at all. Okay. Not even a little bit. People ask me that all the time. Um, no, because intellectually I know that she's a therapist, but we're mother and daughter. So you, it's just so, it's it's in you. Like you will always go back to mom and daughter. You'll never, because she will never be impartial and I will never be just someone that, you know, she will always have a, an instinct to protect or to you know it'll always be so from my understanding of therapy and I'm not a therapist but that like there is a a boundary there where you don't know anything about them and it's just all about what they need and and what they're working through and stuff and when your mom's therapist you know like you know everything about them and you only want the best and you know things things get heated and stuff so no no it's not a it doesn't affect how we talk to each other at all, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. I think for me, I think it makes me I think it makes me less likely to go to my mom with a problem knowing that she really? is equipped to deal with problems. <laughs> I don't know. You're going to help me, so I'm not going to go to you. Yeah, I think there could be something to that. I would be so much more inclined to go to really? like an actual therapist than to like which also, I sometimes yeah. you just don't want to worry your parents, do you? Mm-hmm. Know? Yeah. So that's another thing. Yeah, I like. I find it so interesting. You know, when when people and I and I, I judge it sometimes, so I shouldn't. But like, I completely find it weird when people's like best friends are their parents. Oh, oh yeah. Like I, I do that. Make I, I and it, it and that says more about me than it does about them, obviously. But when I hear that, I'm kind of like, oh, that's fucking weird. I think yeah. that's I, I find that so like there, I, I have real boundaries with my parents mm. about like probably they're probably healthy like to an extent, but like about what I will and won't disclose. Mm. Like my I, mom definitely doesn't know everything about me, nor does my dad. Oh, do they know? I tell them a few things. Um. Yeah, I tell them. I, yeah, I suppose. I actually can be more boundaried 
in uh, or at least I was when I was younger in what I wanted them to see me do on stage and what I didn't and what shows I wanted them to go I, so I think yeah. those would be the boundaries that I have being like oh especially because you're playing people that just aren't you who are doing things that aren't nice or saying things that are you know whatever sexual or, or, or whatever so I think my boundaries with my parents would be the work that I want them to see and the work that I don't and um, are they good with respecting that? I think I was more forceful years ago. I think I'm a bit more... Uh, like, have they okay seen Trist? They saw Trist, yeah. Because that's pretty, like, I mean... That's pretty, that's not that pretty good going. It's not physically, I mean, you're not, mm. like, you know, you know, kissing loads of people or having, like, you know, yeah. simulating sex, sex on stage or anything like but that. It's but it's quite sexual. It's quite sexual. It is. And it's, like, talking about, it's having conversations that you, if you're watching, if you were sitting beside your parents watching that play, you'd probably be cringing. And I've seen... Uh, oh, so we were doing Trist in the project uh, and uh, this girl who was 15 and I can only describe looked like a Tim Burton character cartoon. She was so like slim and tall and beautiful and like black eyeliner and like a big black uh, backpack and like a stripy thing, like a Tim Burton cartoon. And she was sitting beside her mom and dad and she just looked so, you know when you're kind of 15 and you're just not... Um, you just don't want the world to see you yet. And when things started to unravel, she got lower and lower in her chair that she was pretty much flat by the time it ended. And I was like, oh yeah, that would have been hard to watch. Now they came, my parents came to see Trist and uh, my dad actually came twice and my mom has seen her twice now as well. Uh, I think I'm more okay with it now. Uh, when I did, when I was in UCC and I was doing plays like Closer and stuff, those would have been the kind of things that I would have asked them not to see. But I think now, uh, when it's, you know, a good production and uh, I feel safe in it, mm. then I'm more okay with them going to see it. Yeah. Well, I th we've definitely talked about this in the podcast once before, but, like, it's one of the things I say to my mum and dad, like, about, even, like, about this podcast, for example, because yeah. I, I don't really mind if they listen to it. But what I have to be really clear with them is that it's not for you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this really isn't for you. Like, for example, I'll sing, like, at, like, my, my grandmother passed away recently, right? Like, I'll sing at that funeral. That yeah. That's for you. You want yeah. me to do that, and I will do that for you. But, like, the things that I make, they're not for you. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's really interesting, though, when you can... So, it's like, if you want to dip into that, well, that's on you, but mm. that, that can't really yeah. come back at, at yeah. me. Cause and you have to share. You have to share it, because, you know, they need to see who you are as an artist as well. But, uh yeah, you can be very like, this is not, you know, this is not kind of a cup of tea. Kind and of it's thing. weird because imagine like if you had a kid, OK, and then, yeah. you know, they were like in their early 20s and they started doing a podcast and then you had. And I, I'm sorry, this is really eccentric to me, but like you could just um, put this out to like you being in plays and interpreting characters. And like, well, that's the way Cloda interprets that. Like, you know, on a certain level, that says something about the way you see the world, the way you read this. Yeah. Like, if you want to listen this podcast you'll learn a lot about me and a lot about the way like I've evolved over the last like you know almost a hundred episodes like it's a weird thing that like we've kind of forced our parents to mm. view us in a way that like very few parents get to view their children yeah. that way yeah 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 that's a really unique um, parental experience I've yeah. got to imagine yeah like I don't know I don't know if I'd like that I, I'd mm, like do you ever think about I'm sure, like, if I don't know if, if, if kids are something that you would like. I would like kids yeah. in my life. And I think about, like, you know, what kind of dad are you going to be, you know? Because <laughs> I know, I know, I, I really know 
what my dad is. And he's a brilliant dad, but yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be exactly like him. I think there are things that I would like to do differently. Yeah. You know, and it, it's really interesting when you, um, I don't know, I just think like it, it, it'll be it, like, um, you know, if, you know, you were to be lucky enough to be able to have kids, it'd be just such a, like a, I think you just learn so much about yourself. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. And again, I think having I kids... I think if my kids were doing a podcast or, you know, they were doing plays or whatever, I think I would 100% listen to it. I think I'd be terrified and I think there'd be moments where I'm like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have heard that now about your daughter or your son. You know, that's... But I think I would listen to it because I think I would want... If I was a man, I think I would want as much of them as I could have uh, and I would want to know how they think and how they view things and, and how they go about stuff and uh, what they're passionate about and stuff. So I would definitely listen to it, but I think I would listen to it with wine. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's what I would say to you. All right, here's another one. What about if you were, so what about if you were born, you know, um, if, 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 if the world was shifted forward like 50 years right. and, and your, your, your mom or dad had a podcast. Okay like growing up and then they had you you know 20 years later okay. and then you had access to all of their early 20s yeah see now would you want that I actually don't think so mm. uh, again I think I would listen to it with wine but I think I would be worried which is such a kid thing to say uh, no I, I think I would listen to it but I would be worried in a very immature way that it would go sexual and I couldn't deal with it yeah do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's so immature and I know it is, but I feel like that would be my worry listening to it. Although, um, when I was younger, and I remember this really well, my um, my mom, one of my mom's best friends, uh, she was a single woman at the time and she was trying to adopt. And in the time in Ireland, you couldn't adopt a, a child from another country if you were unmarried or a single woman. So she was on the radio quite a lot. And I, and so was mom consequently I'm really having trouble pronouncing words today but uh, as a consequence my mum was on the radio quite a lot with with this woman talking about Ireland's rights and how it was ridiculous that uh, you know you couldn't adopt as a single woman and why and blah 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 and I remember as a kid sitting down and listening to an awful lot of those podcasts and uh, being entranced by them and, and, and my mum's views and stuff so at the same time yeah, I I love knowing exactly what's what they're thinking and, and where they come from. And I think that's really important, the strands of who they were that all connected to to get them to who they are today. And, and you know, we are uh, different to everyone we hang out with. Like, I would be a different person with my mom than I would be with my dad. I would be a different person with you than I would be working in smock or uh, you're a different person when you meet people after a play to when you're having pints in the bison, let's say. So uh, it's interesting to find out those segments of your parents or someone that you're really close to, like what they think politically or what they think, you know, what their favourite book is that they wouldn't necessarily talk to you about and stuff. And then there's stuff that you'd be afraid to know, like yeah. if it went sexual. So actually, that what would be What about worry. that though? Because I, I completely agree. I, I don't know. Like recently, I had it recently where like I was out with my mum and dad and, and two of their friends and it was actually after a play and I can tell you exactly what happened. Uh, and like, they, they they were, I'd just come off stage so I was obviously completely sober. They'd had a night of like dinner and like probably two or three drinks during the show, whatever the thing was. So they were all 
they weren't like drunk, but they they were loose. You know what I mean? Mm. And one of their their friends, like it was a couple and, and them and um, the male and the other couple, uh, said to me, he was like, so like you know, which one of the the cast are you with or like are you riding I think was the, the phrase yeah. he used it's kind of a shitty question yeah. but like he meant you know but you know the way sometimes people of a different generation can just say stuff and you're like I know you mean no badness I would not ask that question in that way especially not in front of someone's parents but, but like it was amazing like I would consider myself you know a relatively evolved person like, like quite comfortable with like most things like mm-hmm. I'm not going to get super spooked about talking about anything is how I would like to mm-hmm. see myself in the world it's amazing to just catch yourself being full of shit because the minute he asked that I was just kind of like ha well you know I sure look like you look know? over there a distraction isn't that mad uh, what yeah. is it about sex though that makes us do that I think it's uh, in particular with your parents or your aunts or your uncles or your cousins or family uh, it's the purest love that exists and it is so, like, there is nothing that is any way sexual about it at all. So even it bringing up... <laughs> I, was, I was afraid it was going to go down there. Uh, but you just don't want to, you don't want to hear it, you don't want to know. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, it's just the purest form of love that you don't, it never comes into the equation. So you, you actually can't, you kind of can't see them as, you know. I mean, you, you can love and respect that and hope that for them, but it kind of, yeah, there's a line. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny. It's very funny. It's yeah. just one of those weird, weird yeah. moments. Let's do it. Yes, yeah, let's move on. Roll the thing. And we found how to make Claude and Mooney Duggan uncomfortable. <laughs> She's Fifty-eight. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number fifty-eight. The question is: In terms of artistic creation, what drives you to do what you do? Um, I think, I think just a story that I think needs to be told. Uh, I think, uh, anything. Why I would do anything is because, well, one, because it excites something in me. Uh, You know, I love working with a company that I've seen. uh, I've seen their pieces and I'm like, oh, my God, that is just deadly. It it almost reverts me back into a child where you see something that's just magical or or when I see like dance and stuff and I'm just like my body could never do that kind of stuff that you're doing. I think what drives me to do work is uh, I really want to s- I really want to show something that I think is uh, important or um, I want to say something about something. Yeah, I, th- I think the stories that I'm interested in seeing and the stories that I'm interested in making and the plays that I'm interested in being in say something about... Uh, something that I see that's happening or that I think uh, needs to be said and uh, getting to deal with that in a way and also that are entertaining or exciting Uh, but I I think I don't want to make something just to make it I want to make something because I think it's important Um, so I think really simplistically What's your relationship to doing work that you're not passionate about? Um, I haven't actually done a whole load of them. Uh, I think in UCC, I I had worked on a few things, but I think quite quickly, when you're released out from let's say the gaiety and you get released out into this massive uh, thing, and you're so green and you're trying to kind of learn about yourself and, and what you want to do. Uh, 
you very quickly discover what makes you happy on stage. And uh, to speak frankly, there's not a whole load of benefits to to being an actor other than it's the most exciting thing in the world and it's the best thing in the world. But there, uh, but you're doing it from love and from passion and and because you can say something. And uh, if you take those elements away, then it's just not fun. Uh, if you take away, if you're doing something that you're not passionate about, if you're wishing a job away, or if you're half doing something, because I, nothing makes me happier than a show that I think is gonna kill me. Uh, like physically, uh, when I'm covered in bruises or I'm exhausted by it or, it's so difficult and then something finally clicks and then everything comes together and I think I act in a way that I try and figure out the whole thing like the macrocosm of the whole play and then I can narrow it down and down and down and down and down into what it is that I'm doing in every moment mm -hmm. but I think I have to work outwardly in than inwardly out uh, so there's nothing more uh, important or exciting when everything kind of clicks and normally it's in the fourth week of rehearsals after the third one has nearly killed you and you're like this is not going to come together uh, but if you take those factors away if it's not something that you love if you're working on something that doesn't make you happy it's a really hard thing because you know it's kind of the only reward from this job is uh getting to be childlike and, and play and affect something and if you don't do that then you are kind of in a nine to five without any of the benefits of a nine to five and you've put yourself in in a thing that you don't want uh so i I would I would not I, I I would be weary of taking on something that was just a job. Can you ever see yourself not doing acting? Uh I think if I got to the point where they started to become jobs that uh were just jobs um that I had no that didn't make my heart beat in in a certain way <laughs> that didn't make me uh excited to be in a room and also terrified and and frustrated and scared and uh, if if something over a long amount of time became joyless then I think I could see it not if it was hard or if it was frustrating or you know jobs took a while to come in and out uh, if if the fun of it left then I would, I think I would have to take a sidestep to something else. Now, I don't know what I would sidestep into because I don't think I can do anything else. She said facetiously, but I actually don't think I can. Uh, like uh, an office would murder my, my soul. I, uh, I just wouldn't be good at it. Uh, and I, I don't know, I don't have a plan B, uh, so I don't know what I would do. But I think, I think it would, it, things would, would come together if they needed to. So if it stops being fun or joyful or I stop getting the thing out of it that I get out of it now, 
then I think I'd have to. But I don't know where I'd go. When you were leaving UCC after the first year or when you were starting in the Gaiety or when you were leaving in the Gaiety or any of those early moments kind of before you, you got out there, what what did you think it was going to look like? Did you think your career was going to look like it does or did you think it was going to look very differently? God, I don't know what I thought it was going to be. Um, I think even leaving the Gaiety, but uh, most certainly leaving UCC and most definitely leaving Our Lady of Lord Secondary School in New Ross, uh, I was incredibly green about the whole thing. I think I thought... Uh, I think I thought it might be easier um, in a way. Uh, I didn't think I would get the opportunity to make or write my own stuff. Mm. Uh, I don't think I even thought about making or writing my own stuff. I don't think I saw stories or uh, plays or uh, words in the way I do now. Um, I think, and to know what I think it is, I think I thought I would leave the gaiety and uh, move to New York and everything would be grand. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then you learn that actually that's not that's not the fun bit, and also that's not. That's just not life. You, uh, it's a craft and it's a skill and it's you have to hone your craft and you have to work and you have to you have to keep. This is the thing. I thought uh, I left the gaiety and with my first show or whatever the the show was, I think I learned and I'm continuing to learn that I have so much to learn uh, and I think that's really important. I think when I stop thinking that I have everything to learn, then I'm like, oh, you know, take the side step. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of groundwork and I think you have to craft your skill and I think you have to keep learning and working. And I think definitely leaving UCC, I didn't think, I didn't think about that. Mm. And now I do. Mm. And, and now I'm so excited to learn new things and work with new people and that's, that's kind of the thing. That's the fun part. Yeah. When you, when you think about, um, like the future and, yeah. you know, where you want to go mm-hmm. and like what you want to do, what are like some of the, because obviously like the obvious answer and a, and a perfectly valid answer is like, you know, keep meeting new people and keep getting to create things. Mm-hmm. Are there, are there like tangible things that you... I would love to do a clowning show. I would love to really learn clowning uh i'd really love to know that art in particular like buffon and like a uh, dark clown i would love to know how to do that mm. uh so i will go and do that um i would love to spend a couple of months learning mime really learning mime and because uh, the way sharon doherty moves is the most incredible and like brian burrows and like the stuff i was saying at the start like watching these people and just being in awe of, of the way their body can just gesticulate and, and the way they can just move their body. And I'm actually moving my body as if you can see me, but you're clearly listening. Uh, the way they can do things and the way they can express things. I would love to know that art form. Uh, so mime and, and clowning are things that I would love to know. Uh, I was talking about this to a friend of mine, but I would love to learn how to tightrope. Uh 
that's just a thing that I've wanted to know how to do and would love to know how to do. Um, I'd love to know, so we did a lot in college, but I would love to uh, train more in rapier and dagger and have a kick-ass, like, I'm going to say 10-minute fight scene in a play where I get to use swords and, like, climb up things and find a sword somewhere else. So, like, I would love a kick-ass sword scene. Uh, I'd love that. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to train in rapier and dagger and find myself at one point in my life in a show where I get to ride in on a horse with like swinging swords and start to kill everyone because I've never gotten to do that yet in the play uh, do you know what's so amazing with all the answers is you're you're amazing what's so amazing with all that is everything that you said was like do you want to learn yeah. which is so interesting and I know that I know we just spoke about it and you're like I have so much to learn and I, yeah. I completely agree yeah like you know, if I was, I would answer. I would have answered that question very differently. Not like better or worse, yeah. but that's really interesting that they were all like things that you want to yeah. go. Oh, it makes me so excited! Like uh, clowning in particular as well. I know of a few people who have gone over to France to do that miming uh, or black clowning course mm. for a couple of months, and that is something that I'm going to do in the next year or two. Just disappear into clown for a couple of months because it's a. Uh, you can apply that to nearly any any play. Once once you understand mask and uh, red nose and uh, how to present a thing in the most basic form, then you can kind of do it. I guess you know it's another form of honesty, really. Um, so I would love to to really study that and, and learn and learn that. And are you a real theatre creature? I am. Yes. Yeah, I, I do. I do love it. Now, I haven't, you know, I've done a few film things, but not as much. And uh, it is it is a facet that I'm interested in. But uh, yeah, I'm a real theatre bird. I love it. I yeah. love it. it. There's nothing, there is nothing more exciting than me. And I think I could compile mentally in my head a screenshot from every play I've ever done of the second before you walk on stage you know that terrifying you've cased all the exits you've no idea what you're doing this to yourself in your life and you're the most scared you've ever been that moment from walking there and then crossing the threshold onto stage and you turn out and you're like okay here we are now uh, I have a screenshot of that for every show I have ever done and so uh, for Susie and the Story Shredder I would hide behind this little sheet thing doing all the doing all the shadow puppets and then the sheet Matt would take away the sheet and I would stand on stage and, and just look at the audience and I remember we only did we've done six shows and we were going to the Civic and the Pavilion later in later in September and then in October but that moment where you're sitting behind the sheet and you hear every single person come in and terror takes over your body and you know exactly what you're saying you, you're listening to them and then the sheet goes away and you stand out and you look at the audience and there's a moment of just connection before the show starts or before you start to speak that moment I have a collection of them in every single show I've ever done and that's just it's beautiful because then you can go through the whole show and not really remember what happened because it's all a blur of uh, show <laughs> but it's so it's so poignant in my mind that like that moment of of stepping on stage for everything I've ever done. And it's funny because things leave my head so easily. Like I am terrible at remembering nearly everything. But those moments are so vivid in my mind. 
you have such a beautiful, elegant, intelligent way of expressing yourself. Uh, you talk really beautifully. Thank God, because it's a podcast. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> God, Clona just couldn't speak. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Um, it was great. Will you do me a favour? I don't know. You, you're co- any bits that you've come up with? No, Susie in the story shredder. Anything yeah. else? Whatever you want. Social media, anything like that. Uh, so uh, the next thing that I'm working on is uh, a show in DTF. Um, it's in the arc. It's called The Young King and it's uh, uh, I'm doing a few bits on that. And then we're doing Susie in uh, The Viking and then The Pavilion. And then hopefully we're going to do Trist again. Fingers crossed. Brilliant. So that's kind of that's kind of what's coming up next. And I'm I'm writing a thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm writing a thing that uh, Jeddah, Debris and I are going to work on. But now that's going to take... That'll take a couple of months, I'd say, if not longer. But uh, yeah, I'm writing a thing, so kind of watch this space. It'll, it'll emerge soon. So Claude, cryptic. So cryptic. <laughs> Claude Mooney Duggan, thanks for playing personality bingo. You're welcome, Tom. I never asked you that question. Never, and there you never will. <laughs> So, guys, that was the impeccable Cloda Mooney Dolan playing personality bingo. Cloda, I know you're flat out, but if you are listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. That was a genuine pleasure to sit down and talk to you. I love you. I think you're wonderful. And uh, thank you again for taking the time to do it. Uh, so, as I said, don't know where exactly we're going to be when this podcast comes out because uh, just stockpiled a few of them while um, I have a bit of time after getting back from um, the travelling and that. So, wanted to do that now. Um, because I got a feeling things are going to get kind of busy quite quickly um, so I wanted to say a few quick thank yous as always to the wonderful Erin Lindsay for mixing, editing and producing the podcast to the brilliant Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for their beautiful work on our excellent theme music to the phenomenal Connor Nolan for his deadly artwork and as always to the rock stars who are Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for having us a part of the Headstuff podcast family. Uh, guys, as always, um, there are tons of exceptional podcasts here. I highly recommend that you go and check some of them out. Um, I'm going to today recommend, in particular, Sparking Change with Dale Vikram and Singer because, um, first of all, she is um, really, really, really intelligent, really, really um, doing great work like on the ground in communities she is getting um, voices of people who you know you might not otherwise hear from uh, from marginalised communities whatever that might be and having really interesting positive life affirming conversations so uh, I'd really like to recommend that for today that sparking change with the wonderful deal um, so go and uh, check out an episode of that if you like this podcast you're probably gonna like that one so guys that's it for me tune back in next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Torres
If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus.